We're so glad that you're listening to the Embrace Church podcast. If you live here in South Dakota and you haven't done so before, we'd love to have you join us in person at one of our locations. I hope today's message brings you closer to Jesus. Let's jump in. All right, what's going on, Embrace? Welcome to church today. Glad you guys are joining us. For those of you in the room, welcome. For those of you online or at our T campus or Toma, one of our network churches, we are glad you're with us today. I'm Brian. If we have not met, get to be one of the pastors here at 57th. And we are continuing our series called Underrated. And our hope with the Underrated series is simply this, that we would pull out some of the underrated, overlooked stories and underrated, overlooked characters or people in the Bible that don't often make it into a sermon or they don't make it into the Bible study. And when I think of underrated, I think of underdog stories. Like, Hollywood loves underdog stories because they know we're a sucker for it. Uh, We just love to see that underrated character like overcome, the one that's overlooked. I think of, for an underdog or underrated story, I think of Cinderella, Annie, Karate Kid, Dumb and Dumber. Like these are just like stories where like, man, they overcame. Uh, Years ago, I heard this underrated story from none none other than Paul Harvey. If you're younger than me, you probably don't know that reference. For 40 years, Paul Harvey had a radio show called The Rest of the Story, and it was on every day. It was like three minutes long, and he'd just tell a story. So I heard this on his radio show. Back in the late 1800s, the best, most prestigious medical journal, journal was called the American Journal for the Medical Sciences. If you, got, if you were able to get an article published in that journal, you could be certain that you'd made it. The medical community would view you as someone who was at the top of their field in the medical world. And so only one time, in fact, back in 1899, one time did this journal pass on a publication or, or a submission for an article because they felt like there wasn't any truth to it. They thought there's no way this could be possible. The submission said this. It said there was a country doctor in a rural town who had performed over 100 gallbladder surgeries. Today, that doesn't sound strange, but in 1899, that number was outrageous. There was no way that this was possible. 100 gallbladder surgeries, this was a new procedure, and you're in the middle of nowhere in a rural town. So, the journal, they actually did do some due diligence and they looked up to try to find comparable records. Were there any comparable records from some of the best doctors in the largest cities? And they could find no record that was comparable to over 100 gallbladder procedures from any doctors in New York or Philadelphia or Boston, the largest cities in America. And so they thought, no way this is possible. So they passed, they didn't publish it. What the editors did not take into account was a possibility. The possibility that there was a very skilled young country doctor whose reputation had become so well known that people were traveling from hundreds and hundreds of miles away to have this procedure done. The editors were certain that there was no way that Dr. William Mayo could have performed so many surgeries, that it just wasn't possible. But the truth was Dr. Mayo had performed that many surgeries. 120 years later, Dr. Mayo's small clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, the Mayo Clinic, is now one of the greatest clinics in all of the world. And now you know the rest of the story. That's how Paul Harvey would end it every time. But I love that underrated story. I love this underrated guy who everybody overlooks and yet becomes the hero of the story. Oftentimes, the underrated go 
underappreciated because we don't notice them. That's our human nature. We're drawn to the outwardly successful. We're drawn to the beautiful. We notice the bold and the risk taker. But luckily, God sees things differently. A few weeks back, we used this passage from Scripture, but it fits so well here. It says this, The Lord does not look at things that people look at. Does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, this is either the best news you've ever heard or it's terrifying. This is great news if God looks at your heart and he sees things like humility, love for God, love for people, obedience. This can be terrifying if God looks at your heart and sees things like love of money, pride, disdain for people, an unhealthy want for pickleball fame. That might just be me, but God is far more concerned with your heart than he is with the outward appearance because you and I, we can hide our true hearts from each other. I can hide what I'm really thinking, what I really believe, who I really am from you, and you can do the same with me, but we cannot do that with God. God sees the heart. He knows. So today we're going to look at an underrated character that saw a lot. He saw a lot in his time. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus feed the 5,000. He had breakfast with Jesus after he saw Jesus die. He saw a lot, but God saw his heart. Nathaniel is one of the 12 disciples, and uh, there's not a lot known about Nathaniel. He's not really all that well-regarded because we don't hear about him as much in the Bible, as much as like Peter or John. But a little background on Nathaniel, he was also known as Bartholomew. So if you see a list of disciples, you don't see the name Nathaniel. That's because Nathaniel and Bartholomew are one and the same. Also, most scholars believe that Nathaniel was from, from a royal bloodline, that he was distantly related to the ancient king of Israel, David. And where we see Nathaniel the most is in the book of John. And so that's where we'll be today. John 1, if you've got a Bible or if you've got the Bible app, feel free to open up to that. And in the first chapter of John, what we see is a number of disciples becoming disciples. It's their first moment where they meet Jesus and they become a follower. And this happens a couple of different ways. A lot of times it's Jesus just going up to a person and inviting them to follow him. But other times it's people who are already following Jesus and they invite their friend. So for example, Andrew was one of the first disciples and Andrew invited his brother, Peter. He said, come and see, come and meet this Jesus. And Peter becomes a disciple. Another disciple, his name is Philip. Philip goes and finds his friend, Nathaniel. And that's where our story begins. Chapter one, verse 45, look at what it says. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. So let's get caught up here. First, the Jewish nation, the Israelite nation, they had been under the thumb of other nations forever. They had been conquered militarily and been under the rule of other nations going all the way back to Moses' time. They'd been ruled by the Egyptians. They'd been ruled by the Persians, by the Babylonians, even the Greeks. And when this is written, they are under Roman rule, the Roman 
uh, nation is over them. And so what they have been waiting for, for years and years and years, is a Messiah. Someone that would come and lead them out of that rule so that they could rule themselves. They didn't want to be under the thumb of another nation. They were God's chosen people, and yet they were consistently under the rule of another nation. So that's what it means when Philip says, hey, we've found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets wrote. We found the one that Moses wrote about. Yes, that Moses that parted the Red Sea, that wrote the first five books of the Bible. Since Moses, they'd been waiting for a Messiah, waiting for someone to come and deliver them and bring them freedom. And so when Philip goes to Nathaniel, this is what he's talking about. He's like, hey, we, we found him. And in my mind, I just kind of see this conversation of, Philip and Nathaniel, and I just kind of doubt that Nathaniel understands what Philip's talking about. He's like, you found who? Nathaniel, we found him, the guy. We found the one. And then it clicks at some point for Nathaniel, and he's like, you mean you found the Messiah? The one Moses wrote about? What's his, what's his name? And so Philip tells him his name, Jesus of Nazareth. And this is where it gets a little funny. Nathaniel laughs. He scoffs at him. He's like, can anything good from, come from Nazareth? That's a nothing town. There's nobody there. There's like 400 people there. It's not like Jerusalem, which is a center for trade and art and religion. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathaniel scoffs at the idea. Now, me personally, when somebody laughs at me or scoffs at me, I get really offended. I should probably talk to a therapist about that. I get really offended. Philip, to his credit, he just moves on. He doesn't say anything. All that he says is, come and see. He doesn't get worried. He doesn't get offended. He just says, come and see. And then to Nathaniel's credit, he listens to his friend. He's like, all right, you think it's the guy. I'll go, I'll go and see. And in the next few lines, the very few lines where we see Nathaniel in the Bible, we hear three wonderful lessons from Jesus and a critical message or lesson from Nathaniel. Three from Jesus and one from Nathaniel. First, starting in verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So picture this. Philip has convinced his friend, Nathaniel, to go see Jesus and go meet Jesus. And they're walking along the street and they see Jesus coming from a distance. Now, Philip already believes that Jesus is the Messiah. And they see him from a distance. And Philip, I imagine, is just like, this is going to be good. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to see what Jesus does here. This is going to be good. And as they're walking towards him and Jesus is walking towards Nathaniel, what does Jesus do? He doesn't introduce himself. He just starts talking straight to Nathaniel, who he's never met. And he says, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel's like, how do, you, how do you know me? What is happening? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip even called you. Nathaniel is a bit freaked out. Dare I say he be tripping. He's freaked out. And what Jesus does in this moment is he proves to Nathaniel the first lesson I want us to see. I know you. 
He says to Nathanael, I know you. He didn't even introduce his name, but Jesus is telling Nathanael, I know you. Remember that verse from earlier, the one where God sees differently than us? What does God see? He sees the heart. He sees the inside. To say it another way, God sees your character. He knows the real you. He knows who you are. He knows what the world often overlooks about you. And in this moment, Jesus is highlighting the character of Nathanael when he says, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus says, I know you. I can explain you to you. I know you because I know you better than you know you. I created you. I know who you are, Nathaniel. In your heart, I know exactly who you are. I know how you conduct yourself. I know how you carry yourself. And friends, with this lesson where Jesus says, I know you, this is so important for us. Because I think oftentimes we think God is a distant God. Jesus knows you. He looks past the mask that you and I wear, the one that we portray to the world, because all of us, we try to keep a little something back. And Jesus goes beyond that and says, I know you. Nathaniel responds, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, well, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Lesson number two from Jesus, I see you. First, I know you. I know your heart. Second, I see you. When you were under the fig tree, Nathaniel, I saw you before Philip went to get you. I knew he was going to get you. I saw you before that. Nathaniel, I see you when the world doesn't notice you. When you're hurting, I see you. When you're ashamed, I see you. When you're faking it, Nathaniel, I see you. And I wonder, do you ever wonder if God sees you? Do you ever wonder where he is in the moment? Do you ever wonder why he's staying silent? Do you ever wonder why you're still in the circumstance that you're in and God has stayed silent? I've wondered that. Jesus in this moment tells Nathaniel, I see you. I see you in all parts of your life. And I don't know why it is where there are times in our lives that we wonder why God is silent. We wonder where he is and we wonder if he even sees us. But there are also times in our lives and there has been times in my life where I am certain God has seen me. And the time like that happened for the Rock family last winter. This is a picture of Copper. Um, This is our dog, Copper. He is the cutest moron you ever did meet. Um, Copper, uh, he's a moron for a couple reasons, but the main reason is because he'll eat anything. He'll He'll happily eat something that will kill him. That is why I call him a moron. But he's the cutest dog ever. However, the next picture shows you what happens to moronic dogs. He ate something, and so this is an emergency surgery that Copper has had. This is like six years ago. He was two, I think. This is like six years ago. That pan next to him, leaves and grass that he had eaten and compacted his stomach into a brick-like mass so nothing could go in or out. And if we did not have this surgery, he certainly would have died. This is the only thing that saved him. And so this moron paid for a super expensive (laughs) surgery to save my dog. And here he is after the surgery. He is so drugged out. He's like, I don't even know you. Just get me out of here. He's he's completely drugged out. Um, This was six years ago. 
After this surgery, Andrea, my wife and I, we decided, Copper, this is your last surgery, buddy. This was his second already in two years. And so we had decided we can't do this anymore. It's too expensive. It's too much. We are not going to have another surgery. So he's done pretty good recently until last winter. Copper ate something. We don't know what he ate. It might have been a bottle cap. It might have been a whole tube of chapstick. He loves tubes of chapstick, by the way. If you leave one out, it's gone. It's delicious to him. And so whatever he ate, it got stuck in his small intestine. And so I took him, all the telltale signs were happening. I took him to the vet and the vet said, yeah, there's nothing in his stomach. If it was in his, if there was something in his stomach, I could extract it, but there's nothing in there. However, the x-ray showed there is something in the small intestine. I can't get that out. The only way to get that out is through surgery. And I knew the decision that we had made. And so I asked the cost of the surgery And then I asked the cost of putting copper down. And I drove home and I walked in and Naomi, our youngest, said, what's going to happen to copper? And I just started crying. That night we called, we FaceTimed Marin, our oldest at college, so that she could see copper for one last time. And we all cried. And after that conversation with Marin, we hung up, we decided the next morning, I would take Copper in by myself and go in with him. And whew, he's just a dog. Relax, Rock. Um, I would take him in and I'd be with him while he put him down. We got done with that conversation. And Andrea goes, maybe we should pray. And I'm like, I'm a pastor. I should have thought of that. That's a really good idea. Um, and so we prayed as a family. And we prayed in such a way where we just asked God. We said, God, we know you can do something about this. We're not demanding anything from you, but God, if you decide to do this, we trust you. If you decide not to do it, we still trust you. And after we prayed, I got Copper's leash. And just one more time, I was going to take him to the park. He loves going to the park. And on the way to the park, he starts dry heaving, which was not strange. He'd been dry heaving for 48 hours. There was nothing left in his stomach, except this time something came up. I don't know how to say this delicately. A feminine hygiene product came up. (laughs) This whole story, you're like, Brian, he's not the moron you think he is. He is the moron you think he is. God saved my dog, and I don't know why. I don't know why this prayer God decided to answer with a yes. There have been more than enough prayers in my life in which God did not answer the way I had hoped. And yet for this one, he did. And what I knew in that moment is that God sees me. At my lowest, he sees me. No matter what's going on in my life, God sees me. And Nathaniel, in that moment, when Jesus says, I see you, he knew God sees him. Look at Nathaniel's response. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Jesus added, very truly, I tell you, you will see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. And Jesus's response is the third lesson that he taught Nathaniel and you and I, you will see more. You will see more. You see, you and I, we live in a prove-it world. I'll believe it when I see it. That's how we do things. Like, 
hey man, I'm not gonna believe it until I see it. You prove it to me, then I'm in. And God is saying, no, 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 uh, this works differently. Following me is different. When you believe, then you're gonna see more. Faith comes before sight. In fact, that's exactly what Pastor Tony Evans said. This quote comes from, he's talking about this verse and Pastor Tony Evans says, Jesus will only reveal more of himself when he sees that you take him at his word. Faith comes before sight. You see, when Jesus knows that you believe and he sees that you will be obedient to that belief, that's when he promises you will see more. Don't limit what God can show you because you refuse to take him at his word. Let me say that one more time. Don't limit what God can show you because you refuse to take him at his word. What does God want to show you? More of himself. More of his own character. He reveals more of himself to you. And when he does that, this is what happens. The things around you, the world around you begins to dim. The things that made you anxious now don't make you quite as anxious. You see what God sees. You begin to see your own attitude. You begin to see your own speech, your own heart. You notice that barista who messed up your order and you don't lose your mind because you see them how God sees them. You see their heart. God shows you more. He promises that he will and it's more of himself. And that's when you begin to see his heart. It's a really straightforward and clear response from Nathaniel. Nathaniel simply says, you are the son of God. And because of this, Jesus gives him a promise to see more. In this short conversation, it couldn't have lasted 30 seconds. In this short conversation, Jesus gives us three key lessons. He says, I know you and I see you and you will see more. But this is the story about Nathaniel. This is the story about the underrated. You see, Nathaniel, who's barely mentioned in the Bible after this, he gives you and I such a valuable lesson in how to follow God. And I think it happens so quickly that it's easy to miss it's easy to walk right past it because you see the first two lessons, I know you and I see you, those first two from Jesus, we don't get to the third until Nathaniel does something. And what is it that Nathaniel did? He believed. He believed. Simply based on Jesus' words, Nathaniel professes his faith in Christ. Professes, you're the son of God. Nathaniel immediately responds. Now remember what Jesus said about Nathaniel earlier. He goes, here is a man in whom there is no deceit, a true Israelite. And I think Jesus is calling out Nathaniel's character and Jesus does not lie. And so that character that Nathaniel is, has in him, it causes him to believe immediately because there's no skepticism, there's no pride, He's not waiting for more. He simply is done waiting. Nathaniel had been waiting his entire life for the Messiah. His entire life for the Messiah. And Jesus, as the one, Jesus, who is God, Nathaniel says, you are the son of God. 
Did you know Nathanael's the first person to publicly proclaim, to say it in public, that Jesus is the Son of God? In these few lines in John, he's the first one to say it, and then we don't see him. It's such a powerful and simple response from Nathanael that I think it can get overlooked for us because it is really hard. You see, like I said before, you and I, we live in a, hey, I'll believe it when I see it world. Nathaniel, once he believes, Jesus says, now you're gonna see more. I'm gonna show you so much more. Buckle up, Nathaniel. You've got a lot coming your way. I'm gonna show you who I am. I'm gonna show you so much more. But for us, we often want confirmation. We want more information. We want another miracle. We want something. And God is saying to you and to me, Brian, just believe. Would you believe? And I think for some of us, that's where we stop. Yeah, I believe. Of course I believe. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Of course I believe. But for Nathaniel, when he believed, he was changed. Things weren't the same as they were before. When he believed, he knew Jesus was God and things were never the same for him. So what do we want to do with Nathaniel's lesson? Believe in Jesus, take him at his word, and then around that belief, orient your life. Around that belief, everything goes back to that belief. Jesus, you want me to go there? I'll go there because I believe you. Oh, Jesus, I'm supposed to stay silent now? I'm gonna do that because I believe. In all things, Nathaniel believed and then it changed his life. He oriented his life around that belief. Would you and I do the same? Would we be as faithful? Would there be no deceit in us like there, was, there wasn't in Nathaniel? So that when Jesus has these lessons for us, we can take them at his word. That he sees us, that he knows you, that he sees you. And the, you will see more. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for your son and what he proved to us. God, I'm so thankful that Jesus knows me, that he knows my character, that he knows when I'm faking it, that he knows the real me, not the me that I put up in front of other people. God, that is so comforting. God, I'm so thankful that you see me. Would each and every one of us be reminded in here that, that you see us at our worst. You see us at our lowest. You don't condemn us. You draw us to yourself. You want the best for us. And for each of us, would we be reminded that when we believe, that's when you promise that we'll see more not before. Faith comes before sight. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If today's message encouraged you or if there's someone who comes to mind that you think might need to hear today's message, take a moment now to share it with them. 